Welcome to Excavate, uncovering our place in God's story. I'm Heather Strongmore. And I'm Jamie Dawn. In this episode, we're taking on an infamous story about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the fate of Lot's wife. This is a story that reveals the dangers of not obeying the commands of God and of being overly fixated on the past. Yet we also frequently malign Lot's wife and reduce the event to her being disobedient and foolish. Today we want to dig into what they were all experiencing that day in Genesis and what this story can tell us about the process of moving forward. Let's dig in. So the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is, like we said, infamous. It's pretty well known. It's used a lot in some unhelpful ways. Uh, And so we're not necessarily going to look at all of the intricacies of this story in general. We are going to keep it much more specific to the experience of Lot's wife specifically. So just to get that out of the way, there's plenty that we could talk about (laughs) with Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not going to take on everything there is to ever talk about. Uh, about this story, we are keeping it pretty focused on just one thing related to Lot's wife. Yes, I'm tempted, of course, to (laughs) dig in and correct some of the uh, false ways that Sodom and Gomorrah is used. But we'll just say it's a great invitation to curiosity to look at what scripture has to say about interpreting Sodom and Gomorrah in and of itself. So that's a a great invitation. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, So we'll be reading one, uh, one chunk of it. And so again, as always, we want to ground us in where we are in the biblical story. So we're pretty early. It's in Genesis 19. Uh, And so at this point, Abraham has been called by God. God has invited Abraham to Uh, into a covenant with him where God has said, I will make your descendants number the stars. I will give you a land of your own and I will make you a blessing to all nations. And so Abraham has received this covenant from God and has said yes to that covenant. And then he and his nephew, Lot, um, are just kind of traveling together. They have a few different times where they're together and then they kind of split up for a little while um, and then they're back together and got, they live, Lot and his family live in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God has revealed to Abraham that he is going to judge the cities for their sinfulness. Abraham has tried to intercede on behalf of the city and at least of his family. And so God has allowed Abraham's family to miraculously escape this judgment Um, And so that's the process of what God is trying to do is he's trying to give them a way out um, and give them a chance to avoid this punishment that the rest of the city has brought upon itself to varying degrees of success is God enabling them to escape that judgment. Um, So Jamie's going to pick up in verse 15. We're going to read Genesis 19, 15 through 26 and just watch how that unfolds their process of escape. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. 
When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because you cannot do anything until you reach it. Because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Okay, so I have very distinct memories of like Sunday school stories. Again, I'm I'm a church kid, so <laughs> grew up in Sunday school. Very distinct memories of this story of like her being turned into a pillar of salt, and even um, like I can picture some illustrated graphics of like just some weird pillar of salt <laughs> and I think as a child that's also very strange because salt is something that we're familiar with so it's like what does that mean what did that look like um so yeah again this story kind of maybe for some of us at least kind of stands out in our minds as something we may have grown up hearing I think it's a pretty common thing that we hear have heard taught on and preached about over the years and certainly all kinds of different takes on it um, but yeah, Jamie, what were some of your, ex what was some of your exposure to this story? I don't think I heard this story until I was in college and I just was rather confused by it of like, what the heck? This seems so extreme. Um, I also think it's one of those where honestly, we like kind of skip over verses and there's kind of been almost its own mythology within it of like people telling the story in a way that is a little bit different than the scriptures. And so it makes it seem like Lot's wife is very like different and separate and almost evil. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think when I first heard the story, it was kind of in that way of like a narrative that's actually a little bit different than the way scripture tells the story. And so those are some of my my first memories. Yeah, exactly. That's where I do think she is really singled out as, yeah, just being set apart in a different way. She's universally bad in essentially every take on it. She's like this cautionary tale. And she is in some ways for sure. Um, but I think a few things that stood out to me in reading it through for this episode is one, None of these fools are in a hurry to leave. <laughs> it 
like the angels literally have to drag them out. Um, and they're just constantly negotiating. We didn't even read all the many times that they negotiate of like, well, what can we do this instead? Like, what, what if we did this? Would that be okay? They are very nonchalant <laughs> about this um, situation that is unfolding before their eyes. And so, first of all, I do think in general, it is a real example of even in the midst of this is a huge expression of God's judgment and God's righteousness, and yet God also being slow to anger, that God actually is incredibly patient with them throughout the whole story of them just kind of dawdling, them not really taking it seriously, trying to negotiate a bunch of different stuff. I mean, we saw it here where the angel in no uncertain terms is like flee to the mountains and lots like, Ooh, that's kind of a long way. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't know if I'm wearing the right shoes for that. (laughs) It's basically his attitude. And he's like, there's a nearby little city. It's just like real small. Like, can I just go to that one? It's so small. (laughs) And the angel's like, sure. fine if it'll get you out of here fine um so i i just think it's important to note that all of them are really not taking this as seriously as they ought to be she is not this random outlier where everyone is like super vigilant super attentive to the word of god and she's the only one who isn't um they're all pretty similar when it comes to not being in a rush and not really taking this to heart in the way that they need to yeah, right before we picked up in the story, the sons-in-law, so the daughters of Lot are married, and they, the sons-in-laws, uh, they laugh. They're like, this is ridiculous. Uh, there's no way all of that's going to happen. We're good. And so, which also can give us some compassion for Lot's daughters, if that's been a story that has intrigued you in the past, um, which it has for me. And so I think, yeah, it's just such a picture of how much they kind of didn't get the the urgency, but also the gravity of the situation. They definitely had been formed by their surroundings, which I think is important for what happens to Lot's wife. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. And it's not, none of this is like... At the end of the day, Lot's wife does still disobey. And so we're not trying to, just so we're clear from the beginning, we're not trying to do a workaround. (laughs) Um, But it's noticeable to me that the angels don't say what will happen if they look back. Um, That they just say, don't look back. I think there is a slightly different sense of urgency of like, if you look back, you will become a pillar of salt. (laughs) Um, But that also is, there are times where God will give commands and, or like move in our lives, you know, like convict us of things. And we may or may not know exactly why most of the time God does tell us why there are things that God is asking of us um, or asking of the community of faith, but it can be difficult to know, like, well, I don't, maybe nothing will happen. I don't know what's really going to happen. And so there is an element where perhaps it's a a minor test of their faith or obedience that the angel doesn't say exactly what would happen if they look back. He just says not to, because I have to wonder if she had known 
what would have happened would she have still looked back we'll never know but i do think that's an interesting element like a, a detail to take note of mm-hmm. yeah but they do seem pretty clear about it they're like really trying to help them flee for your lives don't look back so i do wonder if like we should link the reality of like they are running for their lives that is true and also don't look back if those if our minds should link those two things together more clearly or not i'm not sure obviously was not um we'll have to ask the lord Mm -hmm. yeah now this is something that's distinct that is standing out to me in new ways as we're reading it today um that in my mind and even like again in children's illustrations i i recall a specific illustration of them essentially like being on the hills and like actively on the run and i do think that's how we tend to teach it or how we perceive it and that in that situation if you're like running and you're hearing explosions behind you it would make sense to be like, what's happening? Am I okay? (laughs) And to look back. And so I think when we have that perception, then it can feel extremely harsh of like, well, that's just a human instinct, like a self-preservation instinct to look back. What the heck God, like you're, you're going to immediately strike her down for that. And so I think then there's been another way that we can look at it where on the one hand, we have overly vilified Lot's wife of like, you're dumb and a fool and like evil on the other hand we can also overly vilify god to say like geez god's just smiting her for no reason when she's just trying to make sure she's okay and so i think it's important that we do note the detail that the angel says i can't do anything until you get to safety until they get to this small city of zor and it says when they got there the sun was coming up and then the 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 act of judgment began. And so I think that is a really important detail. And and then it says she looked back at the city. So I think we do need to know on the one hand, yes, they were running for their lives, but I think the narrative makes it clear that they had reached a place of safety and like were stopped. And so I do, I think that's an important detail to just like really understand the whole truth of how things were unfolding. Yeah, that's really good. Cause there is, there's like just enough there to help them understand the process of what God is doing. Again, to your point of how merciful and kind the Lord really is in this process. And so we, we do get that sense of like, God is making it clear of why they need to run so quickly, why they need to get there. And so I do think that's an element of kindness of the angel making that that detail really clear mm-hmm. yeah absolutely now this was an interesting note in the esv study bible about what exactly she becomes when she looks back so of course the language is that she's turned into a pillar of salt what does that necessarily mean what did they understand it to mean at the time the esv study bible actually says it's possible that she's like just sort of supernaturally transformed as she's like standing somewhere random. 
Um, but that it's possible that she's actually engulfed in some of the almost like fiery volcanic type matter that's being rained down on the city. Um, and so that's interesting to me. That's an interesting question. And it actually is striking to me that the ESB even is kind of allowing for that question because I always took it as God is essentially like striking her in the moment of her looking back. And that may be the case. Um, it also is interesting if it essentially is meaning that like she was maybe not going as fast as the others. Like she is kind of like um, dawdling along the way and is because she's being slow in looking back, she's then engulfed by this volcanic matter um, fiery matter. I hesitate to say volcanic because that sounds like it's coming up from the earth, but just in, in ways, in means that we can understand when we think about like, um, ancient cities like Pompeii that were enveloped in, you know, fire and something that might've been somewhat similar, you know, those statues, like the people are preserved essentially as statues because of the way that they're like the fire and the heat work. And so it's possible that that is essentially what happens to her as well. In the same way, like we have a frame of reference in our modern history for the city of Pompeii. So it may be that that's also what became of her. Um, and that's interesting. I think either way, there's an element of judgment of like she disobeyed the command of God, the command of the angel. Um, but one of those scenarios is like God specifically supernaturally smiting her and the other is the other scenario is her being subsumed in the wider judgment that's happening and that's kind of like her own choice in a way not necessarily god just like smiting her so i think that's interesting we don't necessarily have a clear answer to that but i do think those are two significantly different ways of looking at it that essentially give us different perceptions of god and of either like the anger and harshness of God or just the simple judgment of God. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that to us because I do think, I don't know, I'm I'm very intrigued by either either way, I think is such a a wild image, really. Um this is also quite random, but we we don't often say what sulfur is. And so if you are someone who has heard the language of like fire and brimstone kind of preaching, that actually comes from this um, story because sulfur is like known as brimstone. That's kind of a, a way of talking about it. So um, if you have ever wondered where that phrase comes from, it is from, from this. Fun fact. <laughs> right it's really true yeah um so those are some of our general observations um that it is like it's more i think more complex than just everyone else was just laser focused and she's the only one who isn't <laughs> um and yet at the same time there is a true element of disobedience and i think ultimately moral failure on her part that does lead to the fate that she receives. Um, and so much has been made about her looking back, um, both throughout a lot of preaching and even some recent 
writings and stuff like that. Um, and so that's where we want to focus from here on out in the episode is what's going into this, this act of her looking back. How can we understand that in helpful ways that can guide us in our own seasons of change or growth? Um, and yeah, what can we draw from her story there? So I think there are plenty of reasons why she might've looked back and why in our lives, when God is inviting us into a new season where we may wrestle with continuing to look back to old situations, old patterns, whatever it might be. Um, so certainly for her, at least some of it could have been curiosity, fear, you know, like I would find it hard in that real situation to not be like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> you know, think about our, our modern impulse of like, pull out your phone, record it immediately, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's a certain element of just like human curiosity of like, I just want to see what's going on. And even we can have that tendency of like looking up people online of like, I want to see what they're doing now <laughs> from maybe like former relationships or friendships or like communities that we were once part of that it's no longer healthy for us to have that connection anymore. But we can definitely have that same sort of idle curiosity of like, I want to see what they're up to. <laughs> Um, and of course there's for her and for us, there's one, uh, one of the impulses to look back is misplaced affinity of like, that you still feel a sense of identity and affiliation with something in the past that's no longer healthy for you, but because it was such a big part of who you were at the time that you still feel drawn to it. You haven't fully detached from that season or those people, or I think this can be especially strong for women. There can be a misplaced sense of guilt or responsibility of we keep looking back because we feel like, ah, uh, should I have done more? Um, am I the reason that things fell apart? Whatever it might be. I think women often feel that tug, that desire to keep looking back, to keep getting pulled back into a former season because we are carrying guilt or responsibility of are we the reason that we're no longer in that season and we have we can have a hard time releasing that that's so good heather i think uh like you said a lot has been made about this and so i do think it's important for us to get curious and like interrogate what are the the reasons that we look back in an unhealthy way because it has this passage has been used kind of as a spiritual bypassing of like never reflect and never look back like there's a difference between asking really good and healthy questions about our responsibility in something and that burden that you're talking about of like continuing to go back continuing to feel responsible in a way that is really not helpful and so I think the story has been used to kind of um, shame both of those and to say, instead of asking that question of like, when is it helpful for us to look back? We just kind of blanket statement, like never look back. The old is gone. The new has come and we're never going to be reflective people. And that's a really dangerous way to live um, rather than this 
really helpful question of like, what, why am I looking back and how can I really interrogate my, my own heart posture towards that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When we take it to any kind of extreme, that's usually an unhealthy response. And I totally hear you. I think the best question is why, why do I keep looking back on that? Why do I keep wrestling with that? Um, and for us, I want to say we aren't <laughs> under the same severe, usually, um, dire consequences. There maybe for some of us, there could be genuine danger if there's a situation or a person that we keep wanting to go back to. But for most of us, most of the time, it's just a matter of like our own emotional and mental spiritual health is what's at stake. Um, and I do just want to say for, for anyone who is wrestling with, why do I keep looking back? Why do I keep wanting to like revisit and kind of understand or evaluate over and over again, things that happened in the past, sometimes, especially for quite hurtful experiences that we've had, it can take us a while to fully make sense of it and fully process what happened, how it all happened, who was involved, what, if any, our role was. Sometimes, often deep wounds come from very complicated situations. And so I do just want to give people some flexibility. Like it, it can take sometimes years to really untangle and unpack impacts of very hurtful or negative seasons. And so this situation here in Genesis is an immediate life and death situation. There's a little bit of a difference there between us then in our lives needing to unpack something. And so, yeah, I just, I think that we tend to force people to dismiss our experiences and to dismiss our hurt and confusion by just being like you were saying, Jamie, like, don't look back, move forward. Everything's fine. Um, and so it's okay. I just want to say it is okay if it takes you a while to untangle things that you've been through. That's not inherently sinful. That's not inherently the same as what we're seeing in this story. That's honestly, that's just the process of healing. And, and that can be completely okay. Yeah, that's such a good note, Heather. I'm trying to uh, not turn this episode into my own therapy session. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause also I think the que this raises questions. The story of Lot's wife raises questions of what does it look like to move forward in healthy ways um, in healthy seasons and how do we allow ourselves to healthily remember and build upon the past um, and what is she doing that is legitimately unhealthy and sinful? And so I don't think it is purely the act of looking back. It is a little bit that, but it's really what that represents about her heart. And I would equate it to the ways that Israel, after they're delivered from Egypt, kept looking back to Egypt and they kept looking back to maybe we should go back there again. Maybe it wasn't so bad. Because really what's fundamental to that is they are rejecting God's salvation. They're rejecting the deliverance of God and choosing to enslave, them, enslave themselves once again in old bondage. Um, and so that's, I think, 
the core is trust and distrust of do we trust the deliverance that God has given us? Do we trust the guidance God has given us to move into a new season to deliver us from something that was harmful or destructive in our lives? Or are we rejecting the salvation of God and seeking to go back to our old idolatry really is what would be at the heart of that. Um, And so I do think, again, that's different from reflecting and from needing to go through a healing process that I think could be a helpful discernment process for any of us who are wrestling with, why do I keep looking back at this? What's going on? Am I sinning by continuing to have a hard time letting go? Um, That I think the heart of it is actually idolatry. That's the question of, is this an idol for me? Is that why I keep going back to it? Or is this just my healing journey and I need time? I think that is, can be a helpful distinction. Right. Cause it's important for us to put this in the context of what they are fleeing from. Like God reminds them you're fleeing for your lives and you're fleeing from something that is so evil that I have to cause destruction to it. So for her to look back and have this kind of like, ah, we get, we get the picture that there's a fondness there. They don't want to leave. They don't understand how bad it really is based on their negotiations in the beginning. And so for her to look back on that feels like, like you said, a mistrust of God's kindness to them, but also kind of this malformation and glorification of the ways that they had experienced evil in this other place. And so to look back on that is really a a glorification of something that God is saying, I hate so much. I have to bring destruction to it. And so it's really important for us to live into that like context and to, to paint that picture of what she's looking back to is something that's really, really harmful to quite a dramatic extent. Yeah, that's such a good point, Jamie. That's super important. Right. Yeah. 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 So I do, again, want to think, help us continue to think about how can we do this in healthy ways? Because it can't simply be this blanket, never look back ever, (laughs) like we're saying, because God is constantly commanding the people to remember the past, to remember his faithfulness, to remember his acts of deliverance, to remember their shared history with God. And so memory is an important and really foundational element of the Christian life, in fact. And we see it with Jesus when he institutes communion. The act of communion, the practice of communion is an act of remembrance. Uh, And so it can't just be that we're called to forget (laughs) everything that ever came previously in our lives. Um, There has to be a, a healthy way that we balance memory while also moving forward. Yeah, that's really good. Because like you said, there's a difference of even the kind of remembering. She seems to look back on this like evilness as with fondness rather than saying, I, because what God does is reminds them of even when we think about the people being delivered out of Egypt, like part of the Sabbath was to remember that they were once slaves And so God actually like repeatedly says, 
in the Sabbath, you will remember that once you could not rest from work, but I'm so gracious that now you have to rest from work. And so the way in which we remember even seasons of like pain and our own mistakes is we can remember that in a way that sees God's graciousness and goodness to us and the deliverance that God has made. And so to look back, even on seasons where maybe our own mistakes and disobedience um, cause pain for us to look back on that and say, wow, I really was rescued. God really pulled me out of the pit. And now I live differently. And to, to look back on that with a real gratitude and with eyes focused on the Lord rather than the, the circumstances or the mistakes that we've made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And where we do, where we may continue to wrestle with shame over genuine mistakes or just seasons of disobedience or waywardness, there may be the need for a process in our lives where we are continually praying into when we keep feeling those rising feelings of shame and um, just self-loathing, that that may be an invitation to prayer that we're reiterating for ourselves. I'm forgiven. I have been cleansed from this. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Like we may need to repeat that to ourselves over and over again, inviting the Holy Spirit to let the truth of that really sink in that when we keep getting pulled back into that old shame and misplaced guilt and responsibility, that probably is a means of spiritual warfare. That could very well be the enemy trying to place burdens on us that Christ has already lifted. Um, And so that may be an invitation to prayer to invite the protection and power of the Holy Spirit to actually let the truth sink in where maybe we've been having a hard time believing that that could be true. Well, I think this episode has been really helpful for me. Um, and I hope it's been helpful for other people to think about how, what are the ways in which we're remembering? What exactly are we looking back on and how can we be reflecting on God's faithfulness above all else? And so I hope that that has been a helpful reminder for you. As we've continued to dig into these summer short series, we'd love to hear from you how you've been impacted and what's been sticking out to you. What stories are you still curious about? Names that maybe you have previously glossed over. Feel free to share those with us on Instagram and Facebook at Excavate Podcast. You can join our Patreon community. The link for that is in the show notes. Thanks so much for uncovering your place and God's story with us today.